comeback season for Trey Lance begins today. What's up, everybody? Rob Stats Guerrero and Vish Kumaran here. 49ers are back on the field, Vish. I am so excited. We got position battles to talk about, a weird quarterback debate that popped up seemingly from nowhere, but we can get to all of that. First up, how are you on this Monday? Dude, doing well. A little stressed out, you know. Usually Monday mornings are kind of the get back into the groove, but today Monday morning was busy at work, so I, I've been a little bit occupied, and then I had to come in here and get ready for a show. And, you know, when I have to come in here and do a show with the Rob Guerrera, <laughs> I can't just show up and do the show. I have to bring my A game. So just getting myself mentally prepared because that guy, you know, you know, that Rob Guerrero guy has been on ESPN radio the last three weekends. He's true. He's no, he's no small deal. I'll tell you that. Well, it's funny. You should say that because we actually got a review on the podcast really quickly uh, from Zeridin who says Rob has changed ever since that ESPN radio segment. Rob has been acting like he's better than everyone else. I miss when Rob was grounded to the 49ers and not swinging <laughs> his cloud around. So sorry, I achieved a, like literally the dream of my life and I have been mentioning it. My bad. I won't do it anymore. I forgive you, Rob. I forgive you. It's not like, you know, life has been a little bit tough to you the last couple of weeks <laughs> and you can, you know, you're the last couple months, in fact, and you can just enjoy something there. You have to respect the reviewer. Don't be so big time. Sorry, I'll, I'll try and rein it in. Uh, Diego Figueroa says, let's go, Vish. Shout out to Diego and all the YouTube members on the channel. We appreciate the support. Uh, sign up, please. Uh, there's a link right in the description of the episode. You get custom emojis, membership badges, priority comment response. So if you could do that, I would appreciate it. All right, let's get into it, Vish. OTAs today, OTAs tomorrow, OTAs, I think, on Thursday. Tomorrow's session is going to be open to the media we're going to have press conferences from Kyle Shanahan and the dreaded select players available in the auditorium. You know what I'm going to ask you? Are we going to hear from a quarterback on this roster tomorrow? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. The last time we had a controversial offseason at – well, actually, no, that's not, that's not true because we've had a controversial offseason at quarterback just about every offseason at different points. But if you remember in 2020, um, the first time Jimmy Garoppolo's name was truly involved in rumors that he could no longer be a part of the 49ers, the COVID year, every team captain, like the Fred Warners, the George Kittles, they all did the media obligations. Now, the media obligations were a little bit weird that year with COVID and the global pandemic and the adjustments the NFL made towards that. But we do remember it took them a long time to put good old Jimmy in front of the media. They basically... Oh put him in front of the media when they had to, which was, I think, during training camp when he has a weekly obligation to the media in training camp, does he? Uh, in training camp, I don't know if it's a weekly obligation. I'm not or sure. Or maybe he has the one obligation at the beginning of camp and then he starts meeting weekly um, during the season. Yeah, I think it's during the season when when they get to the weekly portion. But either way, they hit him. They hit him from us. They didn't let it. I mean, not that, you know, there were yeah. going to be some real tough questions asked in his direction. <laughs> so I, my assumption is that we will hear the stars of this team talk first. I, I think they kind of enjoy not having the quarterback take up so much attention, even though the quarterback takes up the attention. Like yeah. George Kittle isn't Travis Kelsey having to compete with Patrick Mahomes to be the star of the 49ers. He is the star of the 49ers. So I think we'll see Kittle. We'll see Fred Warner. We'll see Trent Williams. We'll see Debo. We'll see Nick 
No, Nick Bosa, I don't think will be there. No, he's um, not. Just, yeah, people don't freak out about that, by the way, because this is voluntary. So Nick Bosa's he's never goes. He never needs to go. Clearly, Trent yeah. Williams is probably not going to be there, which I actually think opens up some interesting possibilities for the offensive line that we could get to. But Vish, Juszczyk, we'll hear from Juszczyk too. Oh yeah, probably. This is it, <laughs> Trey. Like you are on the job interview of your life, right? This is your last chance, really to become the 49ers starting quarterback again, barring injury, which could happen, but barring injury, like this is it for you. And that starts literally today on the field. Do you think that he can do enough during this time to really sway anybody in the 49ers organization? What, what do you define as enough and swaying? Um, do well, you, like, what is he going to sway them from? He's battling Sam Darnold to be the quarterback while Brock is out. I mean, he's got to win that. He's got to so, convince people in that building that he's the guy that should start. Okay. And so I, I think he can, and I think part of his benefit here in the quarterback competition is because of where he was drafted. And because the regime that drafted him is still completely intact with Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and that entire power structure, there was some level of belief in equity in Trey Lance, day one, right? That's why they drafted him. That's why they gave up so much to draft him. As John Lynch says, they're convicted. Well, we know that they're not the same amount to, again, quote John Lynch, the same amount convicted in him today that they were maybe at that time, but there's still, oh, Rob Guerrero is taking a drink of, um, I don't know what he was drinking over there. But anyway, we know that the Niners had some level of confidence in Trey Lance prior to that. Um, and I'm assuming that there is equity for that confidence to completely return um, if he has a great offseason. How are you, Rob? Missed you. Usually I take the uh, um, one minute getting kicked out of the stream. Oh, I wasn't kicked out. Stream. I just went to the solo mode. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You didn't want to be drinking water on camera after the fiasco that happened within <laughs> our last show, which you set me up, by the way. You set me up. The only thing that didn't happen to me is that I didn't say pause, but you set me up for that. For what this? I really enjoy the size, and I enjoy oh, the god, oh god, oh god, oh god, that, oh god, oh god. Is that what no, you're referring yeah. to, dude? Why would you save that? Come on, come on. Why we're, would we're, I we're, save it? We're a children-friendly podcast. Look, it's you know I save a lot of things. You do not want the balls in my hand. I save the funny stuff. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Going back to Trey Lance and can he win the starting job? So I do think because that equity remains, Rob, if he has a strong enough offseason, absolutely, I think he can do that. I think the more bigger difficulty with Trey Lance is not exactly convincing this regime. It's convincing his teammates that he is mm. the guy. He is the guy. And he, they should believe in him and they should rally around him as the guy. And there's two things I want to mention here, Rob, while we're on the sake of this discussion. Um, the first thing being, I don't know if the opportunity here, given we still don't know when Brock Purdy is going to be going to return, is going to be long enough for him to overtake the equity that Rob Brock Purdy built up. I almost called him Rob Purdy. Um, I don't <laughs> know if you take guy. that as an insult or a compliment. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to pass that because that was eight games. That was eight. No, there was a lot of emotions tied to that with Brock Purdy. So it's going to be difficult to pass that. But in terms of him individually versus Darnold, I absolutely think he can. And in terms of, you know, building the trust and equity within his teammates that he's the guy, because look, Rob, if the Niners are going to win next year, there's one thing that needs to happen. 
It's not that they need to get competent quarterback play, but they need to have 100% belief and conviction in who their quarterback is, right? And this is a distinction that I think was never realized or talked about enough with Jimmy Garoppolo. As much as, the, as much as you and I and a lot of different people criticize the individual play of Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers had 100% belief in their quarterback. And I'm currently reading a book about the great coaches in the 80, Joe Gibbs, Bill Parcells, Bill Walsh, you know. Oh, this one? Your, your av- same exact book. I saw it in the background. That's why I brought it up. So there I'm currently go. reading that book. And, you know, philosophically, all three of those guys built their football teams differently. They had different beliefs on what they should do. But the one thing that was clear is this team concept and this idea of believing in each other. And I think believing in your quarterback is a powerful emotion when we're talking intangibly for any NFL team just because of the pedestal that players put on because of the position he plays. So not only for Trey Lance, but I think the winner of this quarterback competition, given that competitions generally bring divide, the most important thing for us to be able to see the outlook of the Niners season, because I, again, I genuinely believe that all three of these guys are capable of being successful in this circumstance, because I think the circumstance is that beautiful for the quarterback. But in terms of being successful with the Niners' ultimate goal, they're going to have to create complete belief in them where it can't be the moment Trey Lance has a bad game, there's so much tension like there was last year after week one. There has to be 100% belief in whoever ends up being the guy. If it's a healthy Brock, he's coming back. Okay, fine. We know they already have that belief. If it's Trey Lance ascending into that next step, because Brock Purdy's healthy, they have to have 100% belief in him. Or even if it's Sam Donald resurrecting his career, the Niners as a team, as an organization, need to be 100% behind whoever ends up starting week one. And it's interesting because I feel like the Niners have kind of set it up to where players are going to be looking at Trey because Kyle said, hey, this is the best Trey's ever looked. He's got a new base under him. He looks much better. Then we have the article from Matt Barrows with the interview with Jeff Christensen, Lance's quarterback coach, who also coaches Patrick Mahomes. And he was glowing about how he fixed the arm fatigue issues. And Lance no longer has arm fatigue. Before, if he threw for three straight days, he'd need to take a day off to rest his arm, which is wild. Um, But supposedly – that is, you know, fixed now, and, and he's making, you know, substantial tri- uh, strides, excuse me. So I feel like all the players are going to be like, okay, you told us it was going to be different. Show us that it's different. And that impression is not going to take long to make. Probably today and tomorrow, the players will decide, like, is this a real thing? Does he look different, or does he look the same? Oh, 100%, 100%. And I think we're going to have to see that over the course of the offseason. You and I already brought up this point. I feel like before the good news came out with Trey Lance, the news trend that we seem to notice that every year at the start of his offseason is when his stock is the highest. He comes back in OTAs, whatever, right? Next Mahomes. Last year, he lit it up in OTAs and all of that. And then it just feels like it gets worse as the offseason continues, right? There was the entire... Maybe the arm gets more sore. <laughs> possible. Definitely possible. Definitely possible. But, Rob, you know what? That's worrying if you're talking about a guy lasting then the course of 17 games with the attrition that goes on in the NFL. That mm-hmm. brings up a completely different point of debate. But the point, to me, 
for me is as much as I would like to be excited, and I am in a sense that he has made these strides, you know, mechanically. And I, I love how it's thrown out this way because everybody has their own opinion on, you know, what's wrong with Trey Lance's mechanics. And it's funny to read all the different opinions. of Ah, oh, he's fixed this. He's fixed that. He's fixed that. But really, most people aren't able to see that much of a discernible difference in the subtle nuances of what he is changing within his motion, within his body positioning and all of that. But everybody likes to comment on it. Either way, I, I, I think that ultimately it's going to come down to, well, how does he maintain consistency? Okay, you've made your fixes. Remember when Colin Kaepernick fixed his motion with Kurt Warner? And week one, he was throwing a really, really tight delivery in a game Carlos Hyde ran for 180 yards and the Niners blew out the Vikings. And then the next thing you know, week two, Antonio Brown says hello to Kenneth Acker in Pittsburgh and Colin Kaepernick's motion starts reverting to what it used to be. And we there's quotes about Shanahan mentioning this with quarterback mechanics and all of that. So the key for Trey Lance will be something he has not done in his first two off seasons in the NFL was maintaining whatever kind of hype that he creates in the early part of all the offseason when he's able to display all the work that he shows maintaining that throughout the entirety of the offseason because too often or not too often the last two years have started off with him blowing them away in may and june and then by july and august we're like well he's a year away we gotta run him we gotta bring jimmy back we can't start him even though him and jimmy were about to split reps in the chargers preseason game that everybody forgets remember Jimmy started, he throws the pick on third and 15 to Brandon Ayuk. Trey comes in. Jimmy was supposed to come back into that game. We were told by Tim Ryan and Greg Papa, he ultimately didn't. And then the two quarterback system and everything changed at that point. Yep. So it will be important for him to not only be looking mechanically great in May, but when it comes to August, when it comes to preseason, when it's in the meat and potatoes of training camp, is he still looking that way? And that's something that we won't know. We'll have to keep an eye on it uh, as we go along here. I hope he does it. I really hope he does it. I hope he gets a fair shot to do it, first of all, also, because I sometimes I feel like the team does have kind of like Sam Darnold blinders on. Because, like, if they haven't, if all that he's done up to this point hasn't turned them off to him, why would a couple more interceptions in training camp change their mind? Why does he need to throw another interception for them to say, you know what? He's not it. So I'm, I kind of, I'm I don't, I, I don't get this part. though. I don't get this though. I don't get this though. I, I feel like, why do we only do this with the quarterback? The Niners sign a bunch of early picks that flop on other teams constantly every year. And we're like, Oh, look, the Niners are going to turn that guy around. Right. What is Cleveland Furl produced in well, his, but that's different though, because they've, They've gotten more out of defensive linemen that have been cast off from other teams. We've but seen have they not team. have they not gotten something out of quarterbacks throughout? Like, look at what Brock Purdy achieved. That was historic for a seventh round rookie. Jimmy Garoppolo had winning production in San Francisco that put him in the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady echelon of quarterbacks statistically maintaining his passer rating with wins and all that. Nick Mullins was in the Andrew Luck, Patrick Mahomes conversation for passing yards. With for his first thirteen starts, yeah, for passing this team has made this Nick team has made ass. Like, I, he's, I'm not he's terrible. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying, for the level of player Nick Mullins is, the production that the Niners got out of him was outsized. So I'm saying the Niners have gotten outsized production to me from their quarterback position in general. In fact, to me, they got every iota out of Jimmy Garoppolo. They they even they squeezed 
the orange so hard that there was juice coming out when nobody thought there was juice left in the orange <laughs> last year. So I, so I I think they can do that with Sam Darnold as well, despite his history being in the NFL so poor. I don't think so. In fact, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo was basically the same player with San Francisco that he was in New England. You know, it was a very limited window, but I think that he that's who he is. I don't think that they've shown that from a quarter. They got nothing out of Brian Hoyer. They couldn't get anything out of him. They couldn't get anything out of C.J. Beathard. I don't think they have this, this same ability to squeeze the juice from the orange out of quarterbacks that we've seen from defensive linemen. Arden Key, Kevin Givens, things like that. D.J. Jones. I mean, we've seen defensive linemen come in and play better in San Francisco than they have anywhere else. I don't think we have that same statement at the quarterback position. I mean, to be fair, we'll see Jimmy in Vegas, so we'll be able to see that. I think Nick Mullins certainly, in the little we've been able to see him, is a better player in San Francisco. I think Beathard is a tough example. I understand why you bring it up. I do think Beathard's career in San Francisco never got to play out to its fullest because he played too early as a rookie behind a pretty terrible offensive line. And you know what? The hits that C.J. Beathard took in 2017, I mean, Brian Hoyer is still scared shock. Brian Hoyer did not want to go back into the game in 2017 the way he was getting hit. And C.J. Beathard was absorbing that punishment. I think that affected him, too. Not that I ever thought he was going to be a good quarterback, either. I think the fact that he's still lasting as a backup is great for C.J. Beathard because I'm not sure that he is even one of the premier backups in the NFL, though he's played paid like it. And so <laughs> I, I do think I do think they do get the best out of the quarterback position. Um, I do. I do. Well, we'll find out. Uh, one thing I do want to keep an eye on is like the social media accounts of other players in the team, because like I said, the mm -hmm. some of the session will be open to the media tomorrow. But other than that, we're not going to get like daily reports like we do during training camp right. of what's going on. So the only other way we can find out what's going on will be one, if there are like leaks to the media, Hey, I'm hearing Trey Lance looks really good. Yada, yada. Or two, like our players on social media commenting about one guy or the other guy. You know, and I know that people like to poo-poo that stuff a lot, but all I'm saying is keep an eye on it because we need to find sources of information. Like, I'm I'm so eager for any shred of news, good, bad, or otherwise. Like, I just want to know what's happening. Oh, 100%. 100%. I am as well. I am as well, without a doubt. Uh, 187 says, why can't Trey just work on his game and get better? To expect him to be quarterback one is crazy. No, it's not. He was drafted third overall to be quarterback one. So get the hell in there, man. Get what did in Kyle there. Shanahan say before that draft? The week before that draft, right? This is this is some of the stuff everybody likes to conveniently forget and never hold this stuff where we actually talk about what was said then. The week right. before the draft was the infamous press conference with I don't know who's gonna be alive come <laughs> Sunday, right? But That's what he kept reiterating was we went into this offseason thinking we needed a starting quarterback. Our impression of that statement was you needed a starting quarterback because due to injury and talent, you didn't feel like you could win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's why you traded all of that up. That's why you went and drafted Trey Lance. Week after the draft or the presser right after the draft is when Shanahan said, you know, we talked to Jimmy. It's going to be really hard for a young guy to be Jimmy out, blah, blah, blah. Jimmy's still the guy. They did that only after the draft. Shanahan revealed to us that their mindset going into the draft was we need a starting quarterback. So the idea of why can't, why does Trey need to be QB1? Because he was started with the expect, he was drafted, excuse me, with the expectation 
to be QB1. Right. And he just got hurt. So, yes, he does need to be QB1 because of where they drafted him and all of that. Like, there is some equity in that expectation that he needs to be that. I completely agree with you. By the way, I just went back. I went back yesterday and looked, and I confirmed it. Do you know the first thing that Kyle Shanahan said after the first OTA last year? The first question he gets asked is, what are your impressions of Trey Lance? And he says, you can tell he got healthy while he was gone. And he's come Uh back and he's got four weeks of work. It's interesting. You know, Uh we're hearing a lot about the finger and how much that lingered and all this stuff. And the first thing that Kyle Shanahan said last year was Trey looks healthy. And you know what's really interesting to me in all of this, too, that's not being talked about enough? So Trey Lance worked with Quincy Avery, right, throughout Mm -hmm. his entire draft process. He left NDSU a year early. He trained with Quincy Avery the whole time. After his second pro day, the Niners were the ones who sent him to 3DQB to go work with John Beck, who Kyle Shanahan worked with in Washington. He really liked John Beck before the 2007 draft. I think he said he had him rated as his high, one of his highest rated QBs. Miami ended up taking John Beck and putting him in kind of a John Beck's career didn't work out. This is not an essay about, you know, what John Beck did in the NFL, but the point is him and Shanahan have a strong connection in a relationship. Matt Ryan has worked with John Beck. Jimmy Garoppolo has worked with John Beck. They like that team and that team working with their quarterbacks. Um, They sent him to work with 3D QB over the, over that summer in LA. Then he worked out in LA in between the 40 day period in between OTAs and training camp. Then the entire last offseason, he worked out in SoCal as well, which we assumed was with 3DQB, who is the preference of who the Niners want him to work out with, right? I think it's interesting that they've taken that he has taken his camp and moved it elsewhere now with Jeff Christensen. I think that's a detail that's not being talked about enough because I do think he worked out in SoCal based on the Niners' recommendation. And it feels like whatever went on there in terms of fixing the arm fatigue, fixing whatever needed to be fixed. It didn't happen, and he had to go elsewhere to get the necessary changes, which makes me interested in all of this because that means perhaps the Niners weren't even capable of identifying what was giving his arm soreness or what was the issues with him mechanically because the team that the people that they wanted him working with didn't fix that issue for him. Right. He had to go elsewhere. Quarterback coaches and the article with Matt Barrows, which was an interview with Jeff Christensen, which again, I want to say this like. Christensen has an incentive to one, exaggerate what was wrong with Trey Lance and two, say that he fixed it because he's such a great quarterback coach. But let me read from the article quote, the issues with Lance's throwing motion initially were substantial. Christensen said it usually takes him a day to diagnose what's wrong with the quarterback's delivery with Lance. It took four days. And I said on Twitter and people jumped on me. If, if your throwing motion is so bad, it literally takes four days to figure out everything that's wrong. Like, how did the 49ers not recognize it? How did they take him third overall? How could they not have, like, how could they have seen this? Let me put it this way. They either saw it and took him anyway, or they didn't see it. And I don't know which one is worse. Yeah, this is this is very confusing to me. I don't get involved in this rabbit hole because then I have to start answering questions like, what is specifically wrong with the, his motion? I don't, I don't freaking know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they fix. All I see is I see on Twitter locked in QB, which is a very good account on QB mechanics that I followed before this has been talking about him extending his arm to create the longest lever when he throws something Aaron Rodgers brought to quarterback mechanics. Basically he's trying to create 
and where his arm is now supported by his entire body. So he's throwing from his hips and his upper body and from his legs rather than throwing just with all of his arm. That's the impression that I get on what's being worked on. Which supports Shanahan saying his base looks better than ever. Right, right. And I did, he's working out. It's, it's, it's funny because essentially you know who they're trying to get him to throw like? The guy who Jeff Christensen also works out with? One Jimmy Garoppolo. That's how he throws. Everything is upper body. Everything is creating that torque and that aggressive motion with his hips to be able to create the quickness of his release. So really, that's what they're trying to get him. But honestly, Rob, if if you ask me, like, I don't know these details. I don't know enough about these things. Um, All I know is that clearly this issue, whatever it happens to be, Unless Jeff Christensen's just overblowing it just to make it sound like Jeff Christensen's the genius that, you know, fixed Trey Lance. It, it sounds like it was exceptionally serious. Um, serious to the point that it was creating, you know, issues with the arm fatigue, which I actually think the way Barrows wrote it in his article made it sound like it was maybe a larger issue than any of us have ever anticipated. It might have affected his inconsistency with accuracy in training camp from last year. I mean, if your arm hurts, as much as you want to push through it, I, I can imagine that that probably affects your accuracy throwing the ball. Um, I would have to guess on that. And then the second thing is the first part of this sentence, Rob, that you um, highlighted, I think, is the sentence in that entire article that scared me the most that's not being talked about. Read it. The fact that the issues with his delivery was substantial. What yes. was substantial about the issues of the with his delivery and what quarterback goes third in the draft when we're talking about completely reworking their delivery? I thought that was scary. I did. Now, I don't know what exactly was wrong. I don't know what substantial is even on the scale of, well, for a normal quarterback, this is what they usually work on. For Trey Lance, this is what he worked on. I don't know any of those things. So I don't even have data metrics to be able to understand what he means. But the issue being initially substantial and not having that fixed two years into his NFL career when he didn't play on the field, for basically the better part of both of those years, that was kind of scary to me. Now, some people have said that maybe the issues were not there when he was drafted, but because of the finger injury, he, and you know, he, cause he kind of played through that and had to kind of adapt his grip and his throwing motion to play with the broken finger that wasn't healing properly. Some people are taking that to mean that maybe the, he developed issues with the motion as a result of having to make all those changes, which is possible. Which is possible. I will say maybe. that. Maybe. Maybe. We don't make sure. we don't make those excuses for other athletes. It's true. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We do. I bring I'm I feel like I'm the only one in 49ers, whatever content creation, whatever that brings up. Hey, Javon Kinlaw's hurt in the offseason. He doesn't get the opportunity to train. He's fixing his knee. And everybody just likes batting on Javon Kinlaw throughout the year. They don't say, hey, Javon Kinlaw's knee might have affected how he could have gotten better. So I, I cannot, and I feel like not just Kinlaw, there's probably 10, 12, 15 more players on the 49ers who's got something wrong with their body that's affecting what they're able to do. In fact, I knew a former player on the 49ers that had an issue where he had to go through an entire season where he couldn't even lift weights in his upper body because oh. the entire side of his body was numb. So God. NFL players are hurt a lot, and they yep. go through a lot more than we ever know. Gregus Khan says Lance is raw enough that reworking his mechanics shouldn't be the issue. It would be for someone who has years of bad habits. I agree with that. And I almost wonder if that was part of the reason why the Niners were maybe a little more comfortable with some of the issues that they did see 
was because he was so raw that they felt like they would be able to sort of mold him. The real question becomes, whatever changes he's made, can he keep them throughout OTAs? Can he show his teammates and the Niners that he's better, that he's improved? And can he do it on day two, day three, when you're tired, when you're hot? You know, uh, there's that expression, uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. You know, it's easy to when to get everything right when you're fresh. When right, you're, right, right. First hole of the golf course. On the last hole of the round, and you're hot and sweaty, you've been out there for four hours, it's a lot harder to, to keep your form. I don't know if Trey's going to be able to do that. Right, and honestly, as much as I subscribe to this thought process, I don't know. Because I don't know what was worked on in offseason of year two and how it actually got right. implemented in year of year two. I don't know what was worked on in offseason of year one and how it got implemented. So I think optimistically, I, I like to agree with what Gregus has to say. But realistically, I, I don't know exactly other than I have somewhat of an anticipation based on what really intelligent people about quarterback mechanics are saying on Twitter about what's actually going on here. So what if I create the wrong impression of, hey, this is what he's working on, and then that's not what right. he ends up doing over preseason. It, it would be irresponsible to create the narrative that way. So as much as I, I, I would like to be optimistic to Gregus's comment, Frankly, I, I just don't know, Rob. I don't. JJ00 watching on my Twitch page at Stats on Fire. Rob Lowkey knows a lot of expressions. I do kind of have do, like a do. lot of those weird turns of phrase. I don't know. They just they just popped in my head somehow. Um, all right. We're a half hour into this. We have been talking about the quarterback situation a lot. Last thing before we move off the quarterbacks. And, huh. and you need to like help me with this because I don't know where this debate came from. But people are talking about Brock Purdy being like a dink and dunk quarterback and whether or not that's true. San Fran fan 8008 says, did any of you guys see the Brock dink and dunk debate? Was it between Larry Kruger and Ryan Hensley? Is that, yeah. is that where it came from? I think it's between two friends of the show, Ryan Hensley and your new friend, Larry Kruger. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and so honestly, I have not been able to catch the entirety of it i haven't seen it on youtube i've seen the little tweeting back and forth um i've seen the conversation about the dink and dunk debate um i actually think from what i've seen it's kind of funny because i think larry looks at dink and dunk as a insult rather than a description of play style like mm -hmm. i think he looks at the meaning of dink and dunk as if that quarterback just doesn't do anything beyond checking it down. He's a check down Charlie. And then I think Ryan views dink and dunk as just a way to describe a quarterback that doesn't necessarily push the ball, you know, down the field, the way Matthew Stafford or Ben Roethlisberger used to do in their prime where every throw is 10, 12 plus yards down the field. I think he meant it as just a quarterback who throws short intermediate I guess, but I mean, 98% of football today is dink and dunk with how spread out it is and all of that. So I don't know. I think that's what was meant in all of this from what I could ascertain. It's a very interesting debate, though. So I took it as more dink and dunk, meaning nothing deep down the field, but also like kind of easy throws. And mm -hmm. I think that's where sometimes as 49er fans, we can get sort of we can get it twisted a little bit because 
if this offense is functioning the way it's supposed to function, it's never going to look hard. The quarterback no. is never going to have to make no. those throws because Kyle sets up the whole system so that it's easy. I mean, every coach wants that, right? No coach is like, well, you just got to thread a 30 yard frozen rope in there between two defenders. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's not supposed to look like that. It's not supposed to look like Justin Herbert in LA with the chargers who basically they only move the ball when he makes mutant throws left, right, and center because pretty much. Yeah. It's a great way to put it. It's not going to be like that with the 49ers. So whether it's Trey or Brock or Jimmy, I think there's always going to be an element of, well, he didn't really have to do as much as some of the other guys we see around the league. A hundred percent. By the way, I, I think this conversation gets a little bit complicated because there's also the history and pedigree that Niners fans have with anointing their quarterback. This is the organization with Joe Montana, Steve Young. And I think with Brock Purdy, where this conversation gets a little bit convoluted is it's not what Brock Purdy did on the field that necessarily blew us away. He did blow us away in a sense with what he did on the field, but it's really what he did on the field when you time the story of seventh round rookie off the bench. And right. I think the most impressive thing in all of that that doesn't get talked about enough is the intangible element of the fact that he never lost his poise throughout all of the different circumstances that was thrown at him, which is rare for a rookie, let alone a rookie with basically no leash to start, right? He's a seventh rounder. He should have been fish out of, out of water. Instead, he looked like he belonged. He had command. He had control. He knew what he was doing. Um, and so I, I think that Purdy did his job fine. I think where you bring up the really good point, and I think sometimes this is where we're going to be stuck with this conversation with Shanahan is unless we see a quarterback that's Justin Herbert playing in this offense or Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, someone that we just agree with the superior skill set across the board. The offense does so much and makes life so easy for the quarterback Yes, that it's always going to look that way. I mean, even you look at Trey Lance's four games, there are a few high level throws in there, but the majority of his throws are schemed up and open as well. And he had a few misses too on a schemed up cup, few schemed up throws, right? Like he one hopped that screen at the end of the half to Debo. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. He one hopped the um, flat pass to Kittle in his first ever throw to versus Seattle. He's had moments like that as well, but Honestly, I think it's a product of the offense, and I think it's a product of Purdy's skill set. I don't necessarily I, – I don't know. I didn't think this was that big of a deal, and, yeah, I don't know. It's taken on, like, this full debate and all of that, so I don't know. It's become a thing. Sean, thanks for the super chat. Kyle can't manufacture that all the time. There are good defensive coordinators that know how to give Kyle fits, which is why Jimmy began to struggle. A thousand percent. That's the crux of the issue for me when I talk about quarterbacks and what I want from my quarterback, because I think we saw it a little bit with Brock last year as he played teams, got film on him. The longer he played, the more difficult his games became. I thought, especially in that Dallas game, he really did not look similar to how he looked earlier in the season. Kyle's never going to be able to scheme everything open all the time. Eventually at some point, your quarterback is going to have to make a play outside of the scheme. And I don't know, Brock maybe can do it. He has the escapability to extend plays, but his arm is limited. The hope, why, I, why I'm why i so eager to eventually see what Trey Lance becomes for me is because I think he has the skill set to do that, 
to extend the play, and then he has the arm to make any available throw that might be there on the field. And that is always what it's going to come down to for me. I I actually disagree with this sentiment across the board. And I'm going to tell you why. I think this offense is actually right most of the time where you just need a guy to play on time and on schedule consistently and enough. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo did that. I think Jimmy Garoppolo was late a lot. I think Jimmy Garoppolo was slow in terms of his recognition at times. I think he misread stuff a lot too. So I think that actually affected him more than, okay, yes, Jimmy is slow-footed and can't make plays off schedule. I think in Brock's case, over the course of the end of the season, it actually became that he was too much trying to get outside of the constraints of, hey, this is the play. It's right there. Make the okay Dallas playoff game. Great example. Look at the first half of the Dallas playoff game versus the second half. Second half, Brock Purdy makes zero throws that are like high level in that second half. He just does his job, but he's consistent. He's efficient. The offense is open. Back foot hits the ground. The ball's off. First half, he's doing all of that BS where he's running out to the left, (laughs) trying to run out, create this play, this play, and it was a mess. And I think that's the example here. I think, in fact, actually, what happened with Brock Purdy is that he got off schedule too much. I think being on time and on schedule in this offense is the key, and you have to be able to do that best first. And I think the fear with Brock Purdy, and I see our friend Richard Madrid here in the comment section, and he and I have talked about this on text message in private. I think the fear with Brock Purdy is the fact that he ran out of the pocket a few times when he shouldn't have. And all of that, I think the fear is when you look at a guy with Brock Purdy's size, his stature, how sustainable is it for him to consistently play off schedule? I think that's a real question. It's a question with Trey Lance. And I think Trey Lance's size and arm strength and all of that is suited where you can have him play an entire season where he's not necessarily playing perfect within the offense. I think with Brock Purdy, that's a question mark. And I think so because of that, I I actually disagree with this entire sentiment across the board. I think, in fact, what we are missing is someone to execute Kyle's offense better. And that guy could be Purdy. He did show it, especially early. The Miami start, the Tampa Bay start, I thought were better than how he played over the course of the end of the year. But I, I do think that he also needs to be better about being more disciplined in terms of like the Jennings Kittle play versus Vegas. Right. That, that was a bad that's not sustainable. That's great result, bad process. Right. Because Jennings is open on a quick out and he's, he's got to throw it. And he didn't throw it. it. And I'm granted, he got the touchdown, but I know what you're saying. Uh, Speaking of Rich Madrid, the comment here, the issue is a lot of fans can't distinguish between a quarterback that runs the offense and a quarterback who creates offense when there is none to be created. And the issue is we don't know if Lance or Purdy can do that second part. That is a question. And I'm going to be guilty of that too. I'm sure I don't know the difference a lot of the time between did he bail too early and missed something that was there or was there nothing there and that's why he escaped i'm going to say i'm guilty of that sometimes by the way by the way if we're also talking about the skill set and i i've seen this as misinformation with trey lance too if we're talking about the skill set where we're saying the guy can drop back you know 50 times a game and he can carry your offense dropping back because that's kind of what rich is hinting at right that's what the herberts do the burrows do the josh allens do the patrick mahomes you drop them back every play you put them in empty, you make them in charge of the free rusher, and they will handle everything, these type of things, athletically and mentally. I'm not sure that that's part of Trey Lance's skill set either. He was in a very systematic offense in college. He rarely threw the ball. It was, you know, about 18, 17, 18 times a game. 
It was a lot of play action. It was a lot of run pass mixture. He was not put in drop back situations, right? You want to, you know, look at him versus what Mahomes did in college. Mahomes played in the air raid where they dropped him back every play. Right. Every play was Mahomes go make a play. So he got used to playing that way. Even Trey Lance to me at his best, while he's uber physically gifted compared to the other archetypes of quarterback we've seen on the 49ers, what he has been asked to do so far in his footballing career fits more that he is going to fit in, as Rich said, where he's going to execute the offense and do it that way, rather than he's going to come in and be Deshaun Watson, you know, from day one, where if you remember Deshaun Watson, when he first came in and started for Houston, it was magic play after magic play after magic play, regardless of what was going on and what was there to be taken advantage of. I don't know if that's Lance's skill set either, especially given when, you know, the few times, the one year I got to see him play consistently football, which was college, it felt like every time the, you know, NDSU offense got into a bad situation, they relied on his legs. Like the James Madison FCS championship game, he had a bad first half throwing the football. They didn't throw it the second half. They won that game by running it with Trey Lance's legs. Yeah, there were some plays in there that he threw that ended up being pass interference. True. Held true, down some true. of his passing numbers. Good, but good memory. Good think, memory on that. Good memory yeah, on that. I just watched it. Dude, I'm telling you, I've watched more Trey Lance than is come socially acceptable. Definitely. Um, but I do think also with Lance, when he does break, you know, go out of the structure of the offense, whether it's because it's called for or whether it's because he bails too early, I still think he has the physical gifts that allow him to make something out of nothing more so than Brock. Not that Brock can't do it, but there are some throws that are going to be technically available where guys will be open, where Brock cannot get the football to. Let me ask you this then. Let me ask you this, because I think this happens way too much with quarterbacks. I think we take archetypes of what their skill set is in terms of who they are physically, and we define what their skill set should be based on that, right? Like, for example, I've brought up this example, right? Justin Fields, super strong arm, super athletic quarterback, not a natural player in terms of making plays with his arm off of schedule. Jalen Hurts, you know who had the worst EPA throwing from outside of the pocket last year? I'm going to assume it's Jalen Hurts. It's Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a terrific runner off schedule, but in terms of creating space to throw off schedule, that's not really, you know, Jalen Hurts's um forte, even though he's got a strong arm, he's got running ability, he has size. So I don't know if that's necessarily equatable that way. Um, I still don't know if that's instinctively a part of Trey Lance's skill set. I think Brock Purdy has a natural playmaking. He had that in college. Sage Rosenfels talked about how that Iowa State offense forced him to play off schedule a lot because of the way it was structured. And that forced him to get reps with creating things out of nothing. Now, the thing I also saw at Iowa State that isn't really ever talked about here today with him in the NFL is there were a lot of stupid plays from Brock Purdy in Iowa State. Really stupid. Of him operating in chaos. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really see a lot of that with the 49ers. I don't know if that part of him is just gone or if that part of him just didn't rear its ugly head last year. He got Um, benched at Iowa State. Right, right. Brock Purdy got benched at Iowa State. Nobody knows that because nobody cared about Brock Purdy until he became the 49ers starting quarterback. But that is a thing that happened. You can go look on YouTube at some of the lowlights, and they're bad. And my my worry is, as he got more comfortable – as the starting quarterback, that confidence went too habits, high. 
reared their ugly head again, right? When he first got in there, he was like, I'm right. just going to do exactly what they tell right, me. Right, right, right. And, and then all of and a then sudden. And then he started feeling himself 100%. Yeah. I, I agree. But in general, I guess the greater point for me is that I don't know if Lance necessarily has the off-schedule skill set as part of his game because that's not even something we got to see him do a lot at NDSU, right? At NDSU, the – what made Trey Lance a prize in that draft was the tangible and intangible skill set combined with the fact that he actually played a style of quarterback that was structurally fitting within an offense. It wasn't that he was just this big athlete who was just going out and playing. He was subtly playing a sophisticated game of playing quarterback the right way within their offense. So I'm not sure that he's got the magical instinct and ability to naturally make plays off schedule. Joe Burrow, great example, right? Not the strongest arm, sneakily athletic, as they like to say. Outstanding player off schedule. He's magic. He just has instinct. He knows how to do it. He just makes plays off schedule. Juxtapose that to Justin Herbert. Great size, great athlete, great arm. You would think Justin Herbert would be the best player on schedule. And Justin Herbert is one of the off schedule. And Justin Herbert is actually one of the best players on schedule in the NFL. And while he's good off schedule, he doesn't necessarily have the same flair and creativity of his peers, the Allens, the Mahomes, the Burroughs. So, so despite my best efforts, we've spent 44 minutes on the quarterback. <laughs> it's the only interesting thing, man. I Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Which I'm fine with, but I did promise that we would get to some other position battles and whatnot in OTAs. Um, so I think that we should. We're going to be talking about the quarterbacks. I'm sure Kyle's going to say some stuff tomorrow about quarterbacks that we're all going to hop on and and we'll have reaction to. The other position battles in OTAs I want to watch, and the biggest one to me that I feel like is not getting enough attention, and it's not going to get settled in OTAs just because of the nature of what they are, but I think Mm -hmm. along the offensive line, there's a lot of question marks. Trent Williams is not going to be there because he's Trent Williams and he doesn't need to go to OTAs. But, like, look at the offensive line. I'm not – sure that Spencer Burford's spot is guaranteed. I think Colton McKivitz is not a lock to be the right tackle. I think he could lose the right tackle position. I think we got to find out a lot about the backups and potentially some starters on the Niners O-line. I don't. I think they're all kind of locks. I really do. You think Spencer Burford has it locked down? I think he, I think if he was able to start as a rookie, barring a catastrophic offseason, he's got it locked down. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, PFF had him as one of the worst guards in the league. I think his like rating was like 36 or something like that. I mean, that's PFF's opinion. I okay. think I think it's fair, but I also think when you're talking about young players starting, even if it is bad, if he's starting as a rookie, typically that means that, you know, it's going to take horrible horrible production from him to unseat okay. him. So Rich says PFF stinks, man. I get that people don't take PFF as gospel, and I don't either. The question is, do you think that they're so wrong, that they're so far off that Spencer Burford was actually awesome and PFF is crazy, or is it Spencer Burford wasn't very good? Maybe not as bad as PFF says, but maybe he wasn't really that great. That's my I think. I think the best way to put it without getting into good and bad because there's so much career left for the player is he played like a rookie at a lot of times. And I, I, I do expect that to change. In fact, I pushed back on the offensive line being poor 
last year a lot. I thought that narrative was a little bit overblown and somewhat BS, especially because a lot of those comparisons were simply to the Eagles line. And the Eagles just happened to have one of the best lines, you know, I've seen in the last 10, 15 years in the sport of football. So it's hard to have any line that compares with that. Their offensive line, you know, and the Niners offensive line relative to the rest of the NFL was definitely above average. I think Burford and Banks both take large steps this offseason. I think Brendel, he's the guy that I'm just hoping he can somehow maintain the play he had last year. I'm a little skeptical of that. I, I'm more skeptical of him. And then I, I just feel like this this is kind of set up for Colton McKivitz. But here's the biggest reason, Rob, why I'm skeptical of competition in the offensive line. What's the number one thing we hear offense, um, NFL, NFL teams com, complain about um, with offensive line? Lack of repetition, right? I think sure. when you when you look at the lack of repetitions there are, like the total number of reps for the Niners between now and week one, I think they're going to do as much as they possibly can to try and maintain that starting five and get them as many looks and as many reps together. Now, I do think you're right um, that there could be a competition at these offensive line spots, but I, I guess where I defer from you is I think that competition will only exist if the impending starter doesn't do what they were supposed to do in this offseason. Because I think if they do, I don't think we're going to be sitting here doing the, hey, Burford looks good, but Feliciano also looks good. I think it'll be not. Nah, Feliciano is a great backup option. He looks good. And Burford's the guy. He looks good. Banks is the guy. He looks good. Um, you know, McKibbins well, is the right. guy. He looks good. Sheldon Salazar, by the way, says you guys make Mondays not suck as much. Thank you very no, much. I'm glad. Um, Look at that. And But you bring up a good point about the offensive line. They take a long time to gel, it seems like, during the season. They really yep. don't get cranking until later in the year. We've seen it multiple years now where early in the year, that ground game just cannot get moving. They're like running in mud. And then all of a sudden, middle of the year, towards the end of the year, they're just bowling people over. And I think it's because everybody on the offensive line has to – do what do their job. It's like a, a clock. I keep saying it's a synchronization, all right? Have to work together perfectly. And if even one part is off, even just a little bit, the whole thing can fall apart. So if if that's what it takes to get the offensive line rolling early in the year, I'm all for it because it needs to change. They cannot continue to start three and four, three and five, and then have to make these runs late in the year. That and that's why Pittsburgh, right? With all the multiple fronts, all the exotic blitzes, is a tough team to play week one by the way Rob I do want to mention it um I don't know if I should tell you because I feel like I've gassed your head a little bit too much and you know we've talked about earlier in the show of how you've become this new guy with this ESPN gig and your chest is puffing out a little too much I'm unable to really fit on the screen because you know oh, your figure up. is larger than life but I will say your analogy game is pretty underrated I, I would say that it's not been as appreciated enough I've been noticing every time we do a podcast there's usually two or three analogies that i'm like okay rob okay okay I see. thank you i do like to you know drop them in from time to time i think it helps i think it helps clarify stuff for people to think of things you know in a different way and it, you know it's a little more memorable i'll just throw that out there all right so you're done with the offensive line you poo-pooed that you talked about <laughs> the quarterbacks any other position battle what about who's going to be the third linebacker that starts I, so I've been I've been saying from last year that I thought it was Marcelino McCrary ball. And it's just simply because I thought he had more physical juice than the Flanagan fouls and all of that. I still really like him. Um, Mitchell and Ness is saying I'm doubting the O-line. I'm not 
worried about the O-line at all. Um, but anyway, not to forget, forget about that. I think it'll be Marcelino McCrary ball, Rob. I do. I do. I think it'll be Marcelino McCrary ball. Um, but I, I actually think both rookies have a chance to be that guy as well. So we'll see. But I, if you want to talk about a positional battle, this is a real positional battle this offseason because the Niners have a depth of linebackers talent that all fit the skill set they're looking for and they don't ask so much but so much from their third linebacker and so it'll be exciting to see who ends up winning that and i think special teams is also going to play a big factor because yep. obviously oren burks is going to make the roster as a core special teamer but whoever ends up starting is going to have to play special teams because Aziz al Shair also played good special teams and so that'll be yeah. a big factor in this and marcelino mccrary ball is fast as hell He's crazy fast. Different speed, yeah. Yeah, like especially at a linebacker. You know that uh, the Niners love that at that position. Same exactly. thing with um, D. Winters. D. Winters was very – didn't he run 4-5 uh, something, I think? He ran fast. Four, four, he ran he fast. was very fast. So yeah. That's clearly something they covet at that position. Uh, do you think that Jair Brown has a chance to beat out Deshaun Gibson at safety? What do you mean by that? Like, do you think – He's a starter. Yes, but I think because of how little money Gibson makes and how um, unconsequential the savings are, I think the only way he unseats him is if Jair Brown walks in and day one, like, oh, my God, it's obvious that's the best safety on the team. I think yep. even if he has a really strong camp, we could see him play a lot of snaps and just have Gibson be the starter because he's cheap and he's a reliable veteran. And why put that expectation on your rookie? So unless it's a situation where Jair Brown is so unequivocally better that they need to get him on the field, Gibson is such a solid player that I feel like even, and I look at Jair Brown, by the way, as a day one capable starting player. I really do. I think he's going to play a lot for this defense. I just don't think they're going to rush putting him on the field earlier than he needs to be, unless it's like, oh my God, Jair Brown is so good. Got a little breaking news here, Vish. Tom Palacero tweeted, NFL owners approved the bylaw proposal allowing teams to dress a third quarterback without using an active roster spot, I'm told. A no-brainer to bring it back in the aftermath of the San Francisco See, playoff game. So there I you go. Do, dude, is, does this even make a difference? Well, not this year. I mean, there's nothing we could do about last year, but that this is the See, 49ers rule. This rule exists because of what I don't get it, though. I, I, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. After watching Josh Johnson participate in that football game, I would have preferred that the Niners went Wildcat originally without <laughs> even giving Josh Johnson the opportunity to just drop the ball in the snap. The most rudimentary thing a quarterback has to do is catch the snap. Josh Johnson was incapable of doing that. And then if you're having to play the Josh Johnson or whoever's, can you imagine a guy behind Josh Johnson? If well, you're in that situation, like who cares at that point? Like turn no, the I would off rather, and go do something else. I would rather a quarterback than, than Christian McCaffrey have to put on the friggin' wristband and the headset with the radio. And like, no, that was a disaster. And again, it doesn't change what happened, but Josh Johnson was a disaster. Yes, but he was less of a disaster than Christian McCaffrey, a quarterback. This is this is just another way to keep these quarterbacks employed for <laughs> absolutely no reason. Like, there's no reason for Blaine Gabbert. Nah, no, I'm just kidding. There's clearly a reason. CJ Beathard's career just got five years longer. <laughs> right, exactly, right? Not just CJ Beathard. Like, Josh Johnson, if he had a goal of playing for all 32, well, now <laughs> it's achievable. That's true. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I saw that and it just happened. No, so that's I a good one. I like it. 
should like mention it. it to people because the owners' meetings are today. Uh, another thing we could get today, ah, see, Ian Rappaport just tweeted, with this bylaw, Christian McCaffrey will never have to warm up a quarterback again. See, nobody liked that, Vish. Nobody liked it. Did you see the ball he threw to Brandon Ayuk versus the Rams? Yeah, and then did you see the one he threw in that Eagles game? Let's compare those. Um, let's see what else Palacero said. A potential vote to put the ball on the 25-yard line following a fair catch on a kickoff now is expected to be pushed back to Tuesday. Special teams coordinators unanimously oppose the change, but the competition committee has been in favor. I don't know. Are they going to vote on flexing games into Thursday? Because nobody seems to want that except the owners, and I think they're going to do it, and that sucks because you know the 49ers will be one of the teams at the end of the year that suddenly get flexed into a Thursday game. Oh, no, dude. That's horrible. That is horrible. It's awful. By the way, by the way, speaking of the quarterback rule, I think it's consequential when you're able to like dress a quarterback like and prepare him to start a game over the course of a week. But if you have to throw in your third quarterback in mid-game, you've already waved the white flag, in my opinion. I think. Well, yeah. Well, and what else can you? It's better than it's better than what they had. Let uh, me sh- let me ask you this though: with the two Thursday night games and all the scheduling, I I commented so on when when the league moved to the seventeen game. Um, schedule, Rob, I thought that the number one seed was more essential than ever because only the one buy of the playoffs and all of that. And you had the entire thing where I thought the attrition of the NFL season would make a big difference. Next thing I know, the third seed Cincinnati Bengals and the third seed Los Angeles Rams make the playoffs. Last year, it did make a difference for both Kansas City and Philadelphia to not only get the week by, but then having the entire playoffs at home. Now, when you throw in the two Thursday night and the attrition of the season, how important do you think it is in modern football? I think the one seed has Massive. become more valuable than ever because Massive. of the buy. I think the buy is even more valuable than the home field advantage. Right now, yes. I think eventually when they go to 18 regular season games, which is coming, by the way. because You think they'll do with two buys? Yes, guys. I think they're going to go 18 games. I think they're going to go two buys, and every team's going to get an international game. So that's why you're going to need the second buy. Uh, I think that's how they're going to be able to push it through. Um, oh, so maybe okay, that will change because okay, okay. then if you get the two buys during the season, maybe the, the buy in the playoffs isn't quite as important. I don't know, uh, but we'll see. Uh, Sheldon Salazar, by the way, says, thanks for reading my chat. Made my Monday even better. God bless everyone. And shout out to the whole Gold Standard crew. Appreciate all of you. And shout out to my family. Uh, Kalia? I'm Kyla. sorry. I'm terrible with names. Kyla. Kyla and Jazz. Kyla and Jazz. Apologize, uh, Sheldon. I like that. Uh, I'm really bad with names, so please forgive me. Uh, one other comment I wanted to read. The, the flexing games into Thursday night football rules should be called the make Al Michaels less yeah, depressed for real. For real. Life. That was bad, man. I'm done with Al Michaels. Like, really. He's not good anymore. He's really not. The best thing about Al Michaels is that his name is Al Michaels. Like, I don't want to hear you complaining about the game, Al. I really don't. There's a lot of people that would love to do that job. Get over it. I'm not going to lie. I, as, as problematic as Al Michaels was last year and the Michaels Herb street duo was bad after suffering through Monday night football with, um, Tessitore and Witten. I, I didn't mind booger so much except for the booger mobile. What the hell was that thing? And then I look, I think Brian Greasy is a fabulous quarterback coach. Brian Greasy and Steve Levy were horrible on Monday night football, man. Brian Greasy was the most critical person of every quarterback. Every quarterback would be like, hey, what kind of throws? He was – how 
he was unbelievable, man. You, unbelievably bad. No offense, Greasy. I'm glad you're coaching. You're doing what you're doing for the Niners. <laughs> but, yeah. I, so, for me, Allen Herbstreet was like, okay, this is just as bad as what I've gotten used to hearing on Mondays. So, now I watch Mondays on mute. I watch Thursdays well, on mute. Is Buck and Aikman now. Well, now I don't. I, I, I also really like watching the Manning cast because I really like Peyton John. Eli, Eli. Eli. I hate the Manning cast. The Manning cast is only for when your team is not playing on. Monday. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, I'm not going to watch the Manning cast when the Niners are playing. But like, I don't, I don't need to see the Chuckle Hut. Like, I really like. Great, two white dudes in quarter zip pullovers talking like with a Eli. random cast Eli. that barely talk about the game. The only time the Manning cast is good is when like the final two minutes of the half, and then they get into like the strategy. Yeah, and it's yeah. Cool. The rest of it, who gives a crap? I don't know. That's just me. Dude, I know. By I'm... the way, ESPN needs to stop that because Stephen A's world. I checked it out during one of the playoff games just for fun. That show. No offense, Stephen A. That is terrible. <laughs> I've never that seen is that. Terrible. Play. Don't watch it, man. You need Van. Look, it's not the NBA playoffs. You were whistling the ESPN on ABC theme before we started. It's not the ESPN playoffs when we're going to um, commercial and you have Jeff Van Gundy complaining about whatever call brought us to commercial, and then you have. Mark Jackson, as the highlight comes over, and for me, it's with all due respect, mama, there goes that man. And for me, when he says mama, there goes that man, it's always Kyrie Irving. So then I'm thinking of Kyrie Irving. And so like that, I need that as part of my NBA playoff watching experience. By the way, the other commentary crew you got to mute mute is Kenny Albert and Daryl Johnston. God, how are they Fox's number two crew, man? Greg, I hope that Tom Brady never calls a game because I think Greg Olson is – fantastic i think you like olsen i love olsen i think he's like the best in the sport he was so good at the end of cowboys niners last year breaking down like the screw-ups that the cowboys had at the end of the game that cost them time on the clock and not punting fast enough before the two-minute warning and what happened with ward on the sideline how he knocked the guy backwards and so that didn't stop the clock when he went out of bounds Olsen was right on top of it, like immediately. I think he's really, really good. He's one of my favorites now for sure. I like Charles Davis. He's okay. Nine Eagle is an underrated crew. I like them. Niners don't do a lot of CBS games, though. Well, they will this year. This year they will, yeah. This is the first year where the road team doesn't determine what broadcast network gets the game. It used to be if it was a road team in the NFC, it would be on Fox. If it was a road team in the AFC, it would be on CBS. That's not the case this year. So it's a free-for-all. By the way, underrated one that I also have okay, you wanna you wanna know that one that actually I, I've actually grown to like. This is very controversial opinion. All right. I grew to I really like Schlereth because in 2019 yeah, Schlereth did like nine of the Niners games. <laughs> and there was something like because for whatever reason, the Niners always get stuck with Fox's like eighth best crew. And Schlereth happens to be on the eighth best crew with Dick Stockton, who can't pronounce anybody's name correctly. Yeah. And there's something very, very endearing to me about him going, Carl Shanahan, man, I played for his dad. Let me tell you how they run the football, man. They run that football. They're going to run that sucker down your throat, man. And I got very used to him just talking like that. And like, I find that very endearing during Niners games. Much better than Daryl Johnson. God. Stink is Darryl good. Johnson. I like Stink is good, because when, the, especially with the Niners, because when they truck somebody, he just goes, ooh. Like he watches the game the way we watch the game, or at least the way I watch the game. Um, so yeah, those are a few of my favorites. Um, but I think we can wrap it up now. We've reached the broadcast portion of the program where we're talking about football broadcasters. 
But what about Papa and Tim Ryan for you during preseason? Hate it. I don't like them. I don't like either one. I went back. Um, I forget what the reason was. Maybe it was Alex Smith's birthday or something in 49ers and five the other day. And I put in the calls from the Niners Saints game in 2011. And it's Ted Robinson and it's uh, Eric Davis. And they're so much better. They're so When he says Alex Smith with the play of his life, can you feel candlestick? Like they, those are freaking calls, man. They're infinitely better. Infinitely better. Okay. Okay. You have to admit though, Papa can be annoying, but when you watch the NRG post the 49ers win with the full 12 minute video with whoever's mic'd up for the week with the 30 second locker room tip, when you know the touchdown is coming and they show Papa with the binoculars looking through going touchdown, Sam, friends, it's hyped. It's hyped. My, I will say my Tim, son. Tim, Tim Ryan that. just yells. Tim Ryan just yells. I don't know what he's doing. He's just yelling. Ah! But I Papa, like the way Papa sets it up. Like he really breaks it down before the play to describe it to you. Like what formation they're in, all that stuff. He's really good at that. But I just, he's a oh, Raiders really? guy to me. I, so I find, I find that part about Papa when he's the play-by-play guy, like particularly annoying because I've gotten so used to the role that the play-by-play guy has to play. And I feel like Papa tries to play this dual role where he's the play-by-play guy, but he also likes letting you know how much he knows about football. So if you're like, hey, Debo comes in the orbit motion, and it's like, yo, 30% of your viewers know what orbit motion is, but you're just trying to tell everybody that you know what orbit motion is. I don't care because I'm one of them. So I love when he says orbit motion because if I can't see the play, now I know exactly what's happening. So Fair enough. Uh, yeah, to me, Ted Robinson, I sometimes I literally will tweet at him and just be like, you were the man. Every time I see <laughs> that highlight come up on like on Twitter, I'll listen to it because I always watch it. By the way, did you see last thing real quick before we go? So Twitter blue, you can upload like five gigabytes of video now and somebody uploaded the entire. Yeah, Super yeah. Unfortunately, Unfortunately. I started watching it. I couldn't turn it off. Dude, I have never made it past Tarvarius Moore getting that second interception Hmm. ever. Like I've never watched the game pass. No, I have watched. I've watched it twice. I watched it live and I watched the all 22 once. And then since then I've never made it past the tart. That, (laughs) that, that broke me, man. I had like a funny feeling in my stomach after that game. That was supposed to be a all time life moment that was taken away from me by Patrick Mahomes. Still stings. Uh, oh, sorry. I want to get to this comment real quick. Gregus, you made such a good comment before, and now you have this. Stupid- yeah, this isn't nice. I disagree with that. Completely. I can't stand a woman play-by-play. I'll turn the volume off. What? That is insane to me. Why? What is so – literally every woman who does play-by-play, you can't stand. You have to turn it off. Like, dude, that's a you problem, all right? Like, that is really weird. That is not normal. Like, what is so terrible about a woman doing play-by-play? There are plenty of great women who do play-by-play. Like, I hate this attitude. It's so stupid. And it's just so, like, what are you, a caveman? I can't stand it at all. And I just, I hate to bring it up to amplify it, but I just, I saw it and I wanted to comment on it. He says the voice irritates him, so I guess he's used to a certain type of thing. Honestly, I'm not really affected by the voice at all when I'm listening to... The voice irritates you. They sound like women like do you just walk around in your regular everyday life telling women that their voice irritates you like get the hell out of here with that that is such misogynistic bullcrap get out i agree 
It's 2020. By the way, by the way, I I actually personally enjoy sometimes, or I actually genuinely enjoy when women do the broadcast because I think they, because they're held to such a high standard, they abide by the rules of broadcasting so much better where they don't overtalk their expert or do those kinds of things. And I actually find somewhat irritating with some of the more prominent male play-by-play broadcasters because, you know, they have equity in the business. They feel themselves. Sometimes they tend to overtalk who they're talking with, whereas I've noticed that's not something that happens as much. So I genuinely do enjoy a lot of the women play by play. And by the way, the analysis, Mina Kimes is very good on the um, LA oh Rams God. preseason. Amazing. Very, very good. I think that if they were trying to get somebody on ESPN to do this type of play by play thing, I don't know why they haven't tried her yet because I know Tessator is famous in college football. He was pretty annoying and Levy's a baseball guy. So, this but then she's an expert. So she, I guess she doesn't fit the play by play role either. So, don't get so sensitive to someone who's different. He said, no, dude, I get sensitive to people who are Neanderthals, to people who are misogynistic jerks. That's what I get sensitive about because there's plenty of women in sports that bust their ass to get opportunities and that aren't getting them because people think like you. Stupid people think stupid things like that. So sorry, I do get a little sensitive to it. I've been in this industry for 15 years and I've worked with a lot of women who are killing it and would die to get those opportunities. So I do get a little sensitive about it. Sorry, dude. And you know what? If you don't subscribe or you're out of the, you don't listen to the show anymore, I don't really care about it. So anyway, I hate to end the show on such a downer. But we, uh, Well, apparently we skipped 40, not for life Niners questions. So maybe you can answer his question and make him happy and we can all move on the, with the rest of our Mondays. What is the question that is so urgent that we must get to it? I Do don't you, even see it. Yeah, exactly. I don't see it either. I don't like to skip questions, but I don't oh, see it. I, I found it. Oh, man. For life niner, really, he says starts thoughts on the Larry and Ryan. Dude, I have not watched the show yet. I need to watch it. So I'll tell you that I've not watched the Larry versus Ryan show, but my thoughts on them individually, in terms of my interactions, I've had great positive interactions with Ryan. I've had great positive interactions with Larry. They're both really good guys and they both do good content. And I enjoy collaborating with the both of them. So I don't know what exactly went on because I haven't seen the video of yeah, their beef, but. I don't have beef with either of them. I like them both, so I don't care. I don't have beef with anybody. Uh, well, I that's not that. true. Where's Jesse Naylor? Where is Jesse oh, Naylor? True. I have a fake beef with Jesse, which I enjoy very much. Um, but I've been on both of their shows. I'm sure I'll go on both of their shows again. I haven't seen this particular episode. I heard it did get a little contentious, but um, I, I don't want to comment on something I haven't seen, so I won't do it. All right. Bass Spoke Niner fan wants you to go back to skipped him a couple weeks ago. Go back to that show and find his question right now, Rob. Come on. Yeah, I'm looking. That's, I'm looking. My day doing. It's going to do it for this edition of the show. Rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, Vish, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. I know we'll, you and I will be texting because Kyle's going to speak tomorrow. Oh, 100%. Tomorrow. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I hope. I hope every NFL player realizes their dream going towards this training camp. I think that when we get caught up in the analysis a little bit too much, sometimes we forget that at the end of the day, this is a dream that these different people are trying to realize. And I'm really looking forward to those that do get to realize it this offseason. And I think people should remember that when they actively root for or against players in this uh because i think that we should be generally rooting for all of them besides the you know truly 
the Deshaun Watsons of the world. But yeah. Wow, that was just very, very nice. That was a nice way to end the show. Thanks, I, everybody. We had to end on a high end. That's right. We got OTAs this week. We got OTAs next week. And in June is the big Brock Purdy can finally throw a football check-in thing. So we'll have plenty of that. And then by July, June we're back 10th. to the camp. So like, there's plenty of great stuff coming down the pipe, and we will be there with you for all of it. So thanks, everybody. Are you going down, by the way? For training camp? At all? Uh, unclear. Got to get clearance from the wife, and uh, got to see what that would set me back financially before I can uh, figure that out. Because like, I think the only thing training camp has been missing is you in the media room asking questions. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would just get absolutely beaten up because I spend so much time bashing the 49ers media. I think Mayoko would be there with a lead pipe waiting to club me as I got off the plane. Probably. But think about that for the week. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>